0: Good afternoon and welcome to the 116th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. Today is September 1st, 2020. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today we'll talk about sports, the pandemic and racial justice with Billy Witz, reporter for the New York Times. Please do help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and topics. Please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, September 1st, there are 25,559,850 confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. That's up from 25,318,901 reported yesterday. Of those, 6,045,064 cases are reported in the United States. That's up from 6,014,013 cases reported yesterday. There are now a total of 183,870 deaths from COVID-19 reported in the United States, up from 183,312 yesterday. As a way to bring some humanity to the numbers, I've been reading a life story or a story of advocacy For those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now, the headline is 2019 Puyallup High School grad hospitalized with COVID-19 complications has died. By John Manley, this appeared August 6th in the News Tribune. Former Puyallup High School student athlete and 2019 PHS graduate Eli Sevener died on August 5th. It breaks my heart to inform everyone that Eli has been taken off of life support and has passed on to heaven this afternoon. Eli's brother, Zach, tweeted, our family is devastated and in shock by the way everything happened. He was such a fantastic brother, friend, co-worker and son. He had so much more to give to this world. We ask that he is never forgotten and that you take some time today and remember your positive memories of him. He will be watching over us as we go through the rest of our lives. Hashtag rest in peace, Eli. On Monday, again, this is the first week of August, Zach Sevener tweeted that his brother was on life support due to COVID complications. Reaction from the Puyulip community poured out on Twitter. Eli's impact on our coaches and players was huge. Puyulip's football page tweeted, He always had a smile and was one of the most fun to be around. His name will be in our hearts. And his memory in our minds. Our thoughts and wishes are with Eli's family. Boyalup well, baseball coach Mark Weiss said he knew Sevener since he was 11 or 12 years old. He was just a tremendous young man, Weiss told the News Tribune. For us, he was a hardworking, dedicated young man that finally got his opportunity to shine as a senior on the mound for us, just a gritty competitor. Weiss said that on the diamond, he'll remember Sevener as the catalyst for the team's turnaround during the 2019 season. The Vikings had gotten off to a 5-5 five and five start in league play and were in danger of missing the postseason. Our backs were up against the wall, Weiss said. He said, give me the ball, coach, and pitched his rear end off. Puyalip won eight games in a row after that and won a share of the Class 4A South Puget Sound League title. He was a big reason for that and won some big-time games for us, Weiss said. He competed like we expected all of our kids to do. He was just a great teammate. That senior group, they were extremely close those guys played together for a long time. I know he was beloved by his teammates. He was a great young man. I'm gonna to turn to our discussion for today. Let me introduce my guest. Billy Witz is a sports reporter for the New York Times. He has spent the last year covering college sports, writing about everything from how the University of Alabama uses phone tracking technology, to keep students from leaving football games early to chronicling a University of Mississippi basketball player's decision to take a knee during the national anthem in response to white supremacists marching on campus. Witz has been at the paper since 2015 when he arrived to cover the New York Yankees, which he did for four seasons. Among the national recognition he's received is an Associated Press Managing Editor's first place award for an investigative series on a high school basketball powerhouse built on foreign players with falsified immigration documents. Witz is a graduate of Tulane University, where he studied sociology. Billy, thank you for your time today. Welcome to COVID Calls. Yeah, great to be with you, Scott. Just want to remind everybody you can get your questions in, just put them into the YouTube live chat, or you can put them up on Twitter. Just be sure to tag me, at US of Disaster, Uh, you can email them to me. Sometimes people still like to do that. The email is sgk23 at brexel.edu. So um, Billy, let me just start the way I've been starting these calls and ask you where you're calling in from and what the COVID-19 situation is there today.
1: Well, I'm calling from Harlem, uh, New York, and actually the COVID situation is quite a bit better uh, certainly now than it it was in uh, March and April and May and June it's uh, you know I think just walking around the neighborhood or you know I live a few blocks from Central Park and just going running through the park that uh, you know almost everyone is wearing masks so I mean that's the really uh, notable sign and and that there's probably fewer people around during the summer but it's um, you know all things considered it's not you know it's not bad right now What's happening with um, restaurants
0: and things like that? Are people uh, – any indoor dining? Everything's outdoors? No, every, every,
1: everything is outdoors. And, you know, it's uh, – I just walked up about 15 blocks uh, north to a restaurant that I like to go to on Saturday night with some uh, some friends. And it was – yeah, it was really quite remarkable how, how many people were out dining and, you know, everything is – set up outdoors and along Frederick Douglass Boulevard, which is one of the main uh, streets here, there happen to be very wide sidewalks. So Mm. I think that makes it easier for, uh, you know, something like that to be set up. And uh, some of them are uh, taking up street space, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's vibrant, but there's a little bit of a, you know, this is different, right? You know, I know
0: you're a baseball fan, more than a fan. You're a professional uh, in writing and thinking about baseball. I used to live in, years ago, when I lived in Queens, and um, this time of year particularly, I have such a strong memory, walking, you leave your apartment, you'd hear radio on Mets game before you left your building, Mm -hmm. you hit the street, it's coming out of somebody's car, you go into the bodega, to get a soda it's playing in there the the atmosphere of baseball this time of of the year even if teams were not playing that well it just filled the audio space of the city i haven't been back in new york obviously since february but are you also that must be different too right now as well the atmospherics of sports
1: yeah i think in, in in every everywhere because this it just like people's behaviors change. I mean, I'll ride the subway every once in a while, but I find myself much more on my bike Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just riding, riding to places and uh, yeah, everything just is, is a little bit different. And I think you even see it, you know, just watching baseball games. uh, You know, if you, I mean, just that there's no, no fans in there and, and that all the, uh, all the audio that, That comes over is just sort of manufactured and piped in and it's uh yeah it's it's like it's everything is trying to be normal but it's but it's not
0: yeah that's i I hadn't even did till we got ready for this call today i hadn't quite placed that little missing piece Mm -hmm. of the normal that i'm not i'm not hearing i wanted to start if you if you wouldn't mind maybe just and we're going to talk a lot about different sports but football i think a, a fair amount i wanted to start with um a quote from your August 25th article in the Times, you said, with all things related to college football at the moment, the Associated Press preseason All-America team, which was revealed last Tuesday, might look good only on paper. It included Oregon tackle Panay Sewell, Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons, and Pittsburgh defensive tackle Jalen Twyman, along with eight others who won't play football this fall because either they, they or their university presidents did not believe it was safe. What a remarkable sentence. And yeah. I'm wondering if, if you can just take us in a little bit, just a snapshot of where things stand right now in terms of playing football this fall.
1: Yeah, right. And by the way, that since then another another player on that team, Jamar Chase, a receiver, at LSU's I think regarded as the best receiver in the country. He's not going to play this year either. So mm. um, that's that's another. Yeah, it's so right now we're down to the. Division one football is divided into two categories. The football, uh, the uh, FBS, which is the football bowl subdivision, and the FCS, which is the football championship subdivision. And that's what used to be known as 1AA. So virtually all the one do, you know, all the virtually all of the FCS schools, the former 1AA, are, are uh, not going to be playing this year. They've already shut down. And then, it's a little more than half. I think six of the 10 conferences that are in the uh, FBS are continuing to play. And of those, of those 10 conferences, uh, there's five major ones. So the Pac-12, PAC the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12. And those are the ones that really sort of drive co- the college football engine. And so in early August – well, actually mid-August, I guess it was about three weeks ago – uh, today, as we speak, that uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they pulled the plug on the university presidents. Presidents in those conferences mm. pulled the plug on uh, the season in the fall, at least. And then the other three, the uh, the SEC and the Big Twelve and the ACC, they made the decision that you know at least for now they're gonna they're gonna forge ahead. So. Really, the, the focus is kind of on those three conferences. And I would say within those, probably more of the f- focus is on the Big 12 or the ACC because it feels like the SEC is such, um, you know, football is so important in, in the c- culture of those universities and in that region that they're going to be, you know, it's it's almost like they're going to be the cockroaches of uh, of, of this experiment. They're uh, you know going to be the last ones stand to, to go down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so it it's just I, I guess it's kind of interesting right now. You know I I think one of the questions was about the Big Twelve and you know how they kind of came to their their decisions. We can get into that a little bit later, but. I think right now what's interesting is the ACC because there's, you have several schools, notably North Carolina and North Carolina state that have had to, uh, you know, shut down uh, uh, in-person learning because of really big uh, COVID outbreaks on campus. Some of them have affected athletics and they've uh, paused. uh, There's been a pause on uh, football. So it's, it's really, uh, you know, I, I think it's almost like a, a daily thing now where you just sort of see what's going on in, in different places. I think one of the things that's interesting on the other end of this is how important football has been or how devastating the, uh, the virus has been to the financial models at some of these places is today at Texas and Texas Tech both announced that they were going to have major, major layoffs and, uh, and people taking, uh, financial haircuts and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, that were pretty severe. I mean, I think the, you know, the cuts at Texas tech were going to be like 40 jobs and it was going to expected to save about four and a half million dollars. So that's, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's starting to get real.
0: So just a little bit more of context on this, I guess just mm-hmm. for people who don't follow football as closely. So the SEC, um, we're talking, you know, if st- even still with big 12 SEC and ACC, we still have teams that are perennially in the top 20 ranked in the United States. We have national championship winners within the last few years coming out of those conferences. Right. So these are still big time football programs. Play. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, f- I think like, you know, the two, you know, the, probably the three top programs in the country right now would be LSU, which won the national championship last year, Clemson, uh, which is in Alabama have been in the national championship game, or I think one of them has been in the, mm-hmm. every national championship game, I believe, or close, mm-hmm. not not everyone, but uh, close to it. Right. So, so we're still, we're talking, Right, these are the big boys, of big time sports. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So, so let's go a little further with some of the decision-making processes as you understand them. And I guess I'd like to start really from the from the perspective of safety of the players, which is this may be naive. That's where I hoped have hoped that that would be the first line of thinking about whether or not we should play or not. And and I can see from your expression we're going to talk about this. Yeah. But even just there. It seems it was observed to me by my, my brother-in-law, who follows sports um, very closely, that it, the the doctors, the medical advice, and the rubrics that were being used by doctors to make those decisions also
1: seem to be kind of all over the the map. Can you take mm-hmm. us in inside that a little bit? Yeah, and I think one of the one of the interesting dynamics about this too has been just seeing the world of the world of college sports sort of co- collide with world of medicine Mm -hmm. and by that I mean the the medical community I think when you talk to doctors and ask what they think about this or that you know I mean let's you know just say it's COVID for example they're they're very respectful discussions even if there's differences of opinion and the the temperatures turn way down to you know a, a simmer on things and you know so when you when you have that and then it, it enters a realm where, you know, really college football is probably close to what we're seeing, uh, you know, nationally. I mean, you're basically from the white house and, and uh, you know, political in the per- political world of, you know, how this, you know, I guess just everything about this virus is so amplified and, and, you know, turned, turned up to uh, 11, if I can go to a, spinal tap reference, but it, you know, so it's, I guess that's part of it. That's, that's been really intriguing to me is just this, just to see how this, and so it felt like with the the big 12 uh, when they, so I'll back up a little bit. Each conference months ago put together their own medical advisory boards Hmm. made up from doctors in their, uh, in their own conferences. Some some schools, it's basically just team doctors. Others, uh, you know, it might be cardiologists, epidemiologists, infectious disease experts. So, but they're generally kind of getting the same, you know, information. Uh, you know, they're certainly sharing, if, you know, if not with everybody, but, you know, certainly some. And then the NCA has its own medical advisory board. So... These, vi- these advisory boards are talking to presidents at the universities who are they're – the, they're the ultimate decision makers in here. The coaches and the ADs, you know, they might, they might have the loudest megaphones in this just by, you know, for uh, having the access to sports media. Mm-hmm. But it's the presidents that are making the decisions. So right. what was interesting was how the big – so I guess the, the Pac-12 kind of set the standard for this. When they made their decision not to play football, they put out a, a 12-page document. And you if you read this, you really kind of in layman's terms, anyways, understood the, the medical rationale of mm-hmm. behind their decision. The Big Ten did not do that. No other conference has, has done that anywhere near in anywhere near as much detail. But then the 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 Big 12, they had a doctor from the Mayo Clinic come in, and he. What struck me is he, he had gotten some attention on Twitter for uh, you know comments that he made about a, a Washington Post story on cardiologists looking at uh, potential heart damage uh, during this. And so his, uh, again going back to sort of the medical culture, it struck me as like, wow, this guy's really, you know very, um, I don't know, it just, it wasn't, you know, it was very loud and kind of mm-hmm. amplified. And so, you know, sure enough, like one of the conferences reached out to him and just asked him, hey, can you just tell the presidents what you told us on Twitter? And so it, it just had the air of, you know, this is like a, a legal case where you bring in, everybody brings in their own expert witnesses and, so that's what I was kind of getting at with just how these two worlds, you know, uh, have collided. And it certainly seems like there's, you know, the three, three conferences that are still going. I mean, there's this is just, you know, damn the torpedoes, straight. Let's yeah. now go straight ahead.
0: so that's the that's the player side of of things mm-hmm. but then there's so that you know that's some group of people but then there's the much larger vast number of people that are going to be presumably in stadiums and the most recent thing i looked at for university of texas at least i should have said this at the beginning i'm i'm a fifth generation texan third generation University of Texas. It's my alma mater mm-hmm. and Texas football, you know, I grew up where the date was circled on the calendar every year when the Texas football magazine was going to come out and my grandfather could be talk. I mean, this is kind of household I grew up in, steeped in, in this. And um, I was talking to my father about this today and, and you know, they're going to play with a reduced number of uh, – They will, as of now, they're going to play with a reduced number of people in the stands, and the reduced means 25,000 people right. are going to somehow come in the stands. How does that intersect with, with medicine? Have, is there much to be uh, – again, it seems all over the map.
1: Yeah, and it's it, – it, it is, and there's uh, – it, it's interesting because there's some – uh, I, I saw something where a uh, mathematician looked at that and said, OK, you know, and basically just did the math of a stadium and how, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be six feet away from everybody, um, you know, I, you can go. It, it, what what really strikes me about having these conversations, you start going down a path where we're talking about thing, things like this and, and narrow and, and then you, you just take a, a step back and you think why why is this right. you know i mean it it's nothing more than a cash grab i mean why would they need to play before fans why would they need to be playing at all and it's for tv money and to squeeze as much um you know uh, juice out of uh, the, the lemon that they've been handed so i mean i keep i, I kind of go back to uh I, I guess one one argument that i that I hear for okay, it's the big time schools can go ahead and play is that they have greater resources, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. So Texas can more easily afford uh, to do, uh, you know, three times a week testing, they can do right. extensive, you know, cardiac testing for athletes that get it. Um, all that, you know, they can put more resources into isolating players and, and cleaning facilities and certain things like that. But so the, I'm sorry. So they can, you know, say, whereas someplace like um, say Alcorn state, that would right. be, yeah. you know, really a, huge, yeah, a huge, yeah, huge burden uh, right. on them. Right. Cause I mean, this is going to run in the millions. However, it, you know, I don't think any of these schools have any more resources than Harvard or Yale, or you could throw Stanford in, in there, but you know, really any of the Ivy leagues mm-hmm. and the Ivy league shut down football in early July. So, right. I mean, right. I just, you know, it, it's, this is all about, this is all about money. So let's stay with that then. And,
0: and I know you're an expert in sort of the economics of, of college football. Um, how how do these big programs work? Just kind of break it down for us a little bit. The sure. revenue, TV, ticket sales, gear, merchandising. I I may have used to have known some of these things, but I have not been able to keep up with it. Um, can you take us into that a little bit?
1: Right. It's yeah. T- TV is 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 really the big anchor for this. Mm-hmm. So the big the Big Ten is where most of, or they have the richest TV deals. So their schools were getting uh, TV payouts as high as $54 million. So, so the difference, if you're Purdue or you're Ohio state, you're still going to get that 54 million. The difference is Ohio state has, can make far more in marketing deals. They, their stadium is far bigger. They're going to be able to sell way more tickets at, at, you know, higher prices. So that's where it divides it. But the, but the TV contracts are what gives it's, it's why you, it's why you saw a few years ago, Rutgers was so desperate to get into the big 10 is because, Mm -hmm. gosh, if we can just do this, then, you know, we have access to that, you know, $54 million. So even though, you know, they're, they were on, you know, uh, it may as well, they will, may as well have been on Jupiter, um, you know, as far as being on, you know, close to equal footing, uh, mm-hmm. financially as some of these other schools. So, uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, sort of where the underpinnings of, of, of this go. And, and I think even the, so like even, the uh, I think the PAC 12 and the ACC have, a, have the, I guess, least rich TV deals right now. And those are around 30, you know, in the low, 30, right around 30 million. So okay. that's, so, yeah. And then you have apparel contracts and okay. um, all the other licensing things. And So every program in the
0: conference, then they get, that's what they get.
1: Right. I mean, that's right. 30. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's, so that's, that's the bit of socialism in the, mm-hmm. And then the capitalism is what, <laughs> that, what else I, you can make on You know, tickets and tweets and radio deals.
0: So if you I'm just going to run through the scenario, then maybe you find a a physician who says, you know, there's some risks. But if you do all the things you said, all of the things that universities in general that want to open are trying to do, um, you know, distance, contact trace, uh, testing down the line, um, we can play. We can still get we can play to an empty stadium. Presumably, you can still Mm -hmm. televise those games. So why do we need fans? Why introduce that layer of risk? Uh,
1: again, because you can keep you can keep making more money, and um, you know I I think it, it's this is what the whole like you know sort of financial model of colleges is built on. So they're not paying the players. So yeah, let's talk oh, about that. yeah. So Ohio State and I think Texas was. I think right behind them, I think, you know, they both, they both had over $200 million in revenues last year, mm-hmm. which is like an astounding number when you think, uh, you know, that the athletes aren't, aren't getting really a cut of that. So that money has to go somewhere. So it goes into facilities. It goes into coaches salaries. It goes into support staff. It also goes into um, supporting, uh, you know, the, so-called non-revenue sports, which is basically everything but football and men's basketball. And mm-hmm. some some other cases, I mean, there are some baseball programs and some women's basketball programs, and maybe I'm missing uh, some mm-hmm. others that, that might be able to survive on their own. But, you know, that's, it. it anyway, so that, it goes into, you know, it, it funds a lot of other things. And what you see, what's interesting, uh, one interesting element of this is that you uh, just sort of the racial component of this is that th- these these sports that are the breadwinners are uh, are largely uh, played by black athletes and they're you know so in, in theory they they're the ones that the money that they're generating is supporting the non-revenue sports which are mostly played by uh, white suburban, uh, kids that can afford to to go to uh, lacrosse camps and uh, you know soccer or, right. you know play club soccer club volleyball all the all those things going up so it's it, you know there's there's uh, it's an interesting element there
0: so you have uncompensated players but the argument on the other side i've heard is well no there's compensation they're playing they're getting a education yeah. Scholarship out of the deal, so how can you say it's uncompensated? Um, what, how do you, what's your take on on that
1: when that kind of a argument is made? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's with it. Uh, you know, that part of the part of that is true. Um, you know, they do, you know, certainly do get a scholarship, and however, so much of this, you know, it, I think what one of the, one of the ways to, I think, look at this is go back to say like the division three level, which is there's no athletic scholarships and there's it. Why should, you know, why should a small, you know, school say an Oberlin play football where they have like a hundred kids on the team. I mean, that's clearly a money losing proposition, but it's good for those schools because it, it, um, it, It's an avenue to uh, diversifying their student body. Mm -hmm. It's uh, you know it provides an anchor on on you know a social anchor on campus. You know there's all these uh, other you know sort of ancillary reasons besides money that it's that it makes sense for universities to subsidize these programs. But then what nobody nobody wants to be to make that same case for at the division one schools. Um, and, and that's why you see you're, you're seeing so many of them drop uh, sports. I mean, even, even Stanford, you know, drop men's volleyball. And, mm. you know, I, I think about eight or nine other sports. Now they were playing 36, which is a enormous, excuse me, an enormous amount. Right. But, um, you know, a number, a number of schools are dropping programs like that saying, well, we're taking this big hit, you know, we can't afford it, but, you know that you know it. It sort of gets it, it. I don't know if it's really. I've heard anybody come up with a, a satisfactory to me answer or a good explanation for why, uh, you know why they don't. Because I, I think you know we're going off here, but on uh an example would be track. So, um, you know just I guess from a financial this is just, this is also from a financial standpoint track has i think 10 scholarships but maybe you have like 50 kids on the team so mm-hmm. you're by cutting a, the track team not only you're saving money on those 10 scholarships but you're also losing the tuition the you know the right. books the room and board on those 40 so it's really a net loss so mm-hmm. there's a lot of just sort of inherent you know, I don't know if contradictions is, yeah. is quite the right word, but it's, it's just as this is all unfolding, it's really kind of fascinating to try to unpack it all. Well, and that,
0: that term contradictions is, is, that's an important one. And, yeah. and, and to stay with that a little bit, you know, talking about the racial dynamics of, of big time college athletics, basketball and football, in this case, where the majority of players African-American on most teams. And, um, you know, this has been discussed for a long time in sports, but this year in a, in a special, and especially urgent way um, with the extra stress that was going to be put on these athletes because of the pandemic. But then after George Floyd's murder in May, we started to see athletes in a way that I haven't seen really in my lifetime. I was very young um, you know, I remember Muhammad Ali, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, right. I wasn't attuned to those actions that he was taking in the 1960s. Um, we have uh, seen unfolded in the last few months, a, a, a remarkable Black Lives Matter moment, which in some ways is rooted in the center of college athletics, right?
1: Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. It's, uh, it, you know, I think we've seen so much of, you know, this is a group that, you know, they, they're just cogs in the wheel of this multi-billion dollar or you know billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. And you know I think there's an awakening that's that's gone on it. you know, clearly it started before this and I think it's gone on with um, the name image and likeness uh, issue that's sort of that the, 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 the NCA and schools are kind of grappling with and it's basically it's how to how, how to allow, athletes to make money off their fame the same way somebody that's say uh you know a uh a, a, a prodigy uh you know violinist who's you know going to school could you know could do that or a computer programmer or a dj so that's kind of been you know bubbling below the surface and i think all of this has clearly been amplified by the voice that athletes have on social media and they're starting to, uh, you know, flex that. And I think you're, you're seeing them call, you know, call out coaches and authority Mm -hmm. figures over, um, you know, racist, uh, behavior or, uh, or, or just even things that where they're feeling like they're having their thumb put down on them Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It is quite remarkable. Cause I mean, I think we're both, you know, of the, of the same age that we, yeah, you sort of, you know, as a kid, you kind of remember that. And I, I mean, I've covered a team 20 years ago, a UCLA football team that was, you know, in contention for a national championship and they, uh, you know, the team basically fell apart over, uh, players wanting to, you know, where, uh, uh, you know, black towels and black armbands is a uh, protest over a uh, law that had been passed that mm. had uh, basically made it harder for uh, minority students to get into UCLA. Mm-hmm.
0: And the, the school disallowed, they weren't allowed to, to do that. You know, the coach, yeah.
1: was, you know, was one of these things where it's like, Hey, don't do this. You know, this isn't the right time. And, uh, you know, it ended up dividing the team. And...
0: I really think about the courage of these players. I mean, not only are they—I mean, football's dangerous enough. Yeah, football with COVID extra dangerous. Um, and you know, the jeopardy. I mean, make you say a little bit about how athletes view the jeopardy that they put themselves in when they when they speak up at this moment. Because I mean, you talked about let's lay school spirit aside. I know it's real. It's hard to measure. It's a Mm -hmm. it's a factor in all of this. Absolutely, football and sports can be a binding force on campus. But you've largely described this as a financial enterprise, and I agree with you. That those are powerful forces that want those games played. And now you have students who are saying, "We're going to take a knee. We're going to sit it out. We're going to be heard." How are they? How do they? The players you've talked to. How do they conceptualize the risk that they're putting themselves in? They. Going to potentially lose their scholarship, they lose endorsement deals, they hurt their potential uh, going into
1: the NFL. It seems incredibly risky. No, no I, and I think that's where what's going on in the in the country, in you know, especially in in a singular way. The the I think what we saw the protests, the demonstrations after George Floyd was killed. I think that really is. It's that. This is a cynical way to describe it. That, and it's probably a poor choice of words, but it kind of gives them cover to 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 go ahead and, and flex their voice a little bit more. But it's also true and it's real and it's um, you know. I mean, you. I I think what it's kind of like what we you know what we saw very much what we've seen in the nba in the, in the last few days right. is that no i'm not going to you know i'm not going to be quiet i'm not going to shut up and dribble i'm not going to you know shut up and run the ball this is this is something bigger now where where i think it becomes a little bit different is as we get closer to a season to see what happens. And I think like we, we saw with what happened with the NBA players. Now they clearly are trying to, you know, not, not just, you know, with voter registration things and, and uh, turning, turning stadiums into and arenas into polling places. I mean, they're, they're going after, you know, political and legislative solutions, but I think like what we saw the, you know, they went back and, you know, the, I think I'm sure one of the, one of the reasons why the NBA players went back is that they saw the governor of Wisconsin call the legislature back into session. So, you know, they did the players came back and what the legislature do is like, Hey, we're not, you know, sorry, we're not, we're not doing this right now. We're going to need a few months and stuff like that. So it really, you know, it really kind of tests the, test the, the, I guess the depth of the commitment and, mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to, to all of this. It's, it's a really, Scott, this is, it's, this is super fascinating because the PAC 12 players were at the forefront of this player agency movement mm-hmm. and they're very organized, sharp, committed to it. They all want to play, but, now that football has gone away for the Pac-12, they also have lost their platform. We're so absolutely. it's that tricky thing. It's like mm-hmm. once, you know, you can, you can say, okay, we're going to, you know, take a knee, we're not going to play, we're going to, um, you know, make, make a statement to draw attention to something. But then at some point, you know, how do you strike that balance between, you know, using the, using the games as a platform and not having them consumed by Right. You know, bread and circus. And also if you take that, you know, the games, the games away, how do you, right. you know, you also lose your platform. So that's really the, you know, yeah. the fine line that, that, you know, I think they're figuring out to, you know, how to, how to navigate. And of course, in the, in the college sense of this with COVID, that's been a decision that's not in their hands anyway. Right. just
0: want to remind people you're listening to COVID calls. I'm talking to Billy Witts today about sports and COVID-19 and racial justice. That last point you just made is so interesting to me because it shows, you know, the cultural power come for these athletes comes from the fact that they're just the best at what they do. And, mm-hmm. and yet it's, it's a, it's a rare, and I won't just say athletes, it's a rare musician. It's a rare college professor. It's a rare anybody who transcends their profession and becomes a civil rights leader? It, that they can go beyond that, but it, yeah. but it, but it does seem that there is also when you have a whole team acting in concert, something, something very strong is being suggested here. People can't just look away from it, you know. And the football team becomes something more than a football team. Mm-hmm. I think I have one example in mind that was is amazing to me that. Um, the first week of June, University of Texas players left the Darrell Royal Stadium practice stadium, and they went to the state capitol uh, and they took a knee for uh, over eight minutes to in to a moment of silence, minutes of silence for George Floyd, and they have also and their the coach um, I got it quote here coach Tom Herman said to them you're a minority football player one of the biggest brands in the country you have a voice use it that's pretty amazing and so they went beyond and in fact there's a um, many of those players spoke out against the playing and the singing of the eyes of Texas which is a is the the song of the University of Texas not just the football program it's it represents the university um I was astounded and I'm sure many other historians were um, to be taught a really important lesson about cultural structural racism of this song from the football team. They taught us this, that this is a song which was created in the context of paying homage to the old South. And they called, they called the university on it. So there's a moment where I guess the point I'm getting to is that there's a transcendence beyond the field there, which I, I wonder if you think, how far that can go or do you think ultimately they're going to go back to playing to keep this kind of movement going?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a really good, no, that's a really good question. It's a great point. And I think we, we saw it at other, we've seen it at other places too. I know Clemson is uh, you know professional or former Clemson players who were playing in the NFL kind of led, led the uh, charge to get, some buildings that rename that were named for uh, John Calhoun, who mm-hmm. uh, a slave owner, and yeah, it, it's uh, I don't I don't I don't know what the answer to that is. Is how you know how how far this is going to go? But I think is and it, there's a there's a way I I think there's a way for. Again, it's tricky because. I think culturally, just the the cultural overtones of of uh, college football culture, especially in the South, particularly in the South. Um, you know, there's. I'm not. I'm not sure how how you know. There's. I've, it feels like there might be a needle to thread, to to. Uh, to affect change. And I mean, clearly we saw it in Mississippi with uh, the changing of, you know, changing the flag. There was, you know, there was enough of, uh, you know, and, and it's, and it's almost, I think like what we, you know, what you would hope would go on at a, at the national level where there's consensus on things. And I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think I probably would speak for both of us when we heard about what, you know, the, 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 um, you know, sort of the history of how Eyes of Texas came, came about, what the, you know, the, the overtones to it and, and, or the foundation really, you know, then you're like, wow, you know, you're like, wow, I had no idea. And yeah. that, hey, this is, you know, this should change. And um, so, I don't know, it's gonna, it, it's a case by case, but clearly, 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 I mean, the, you know, the, you know, it there's, there's so much entrenched racism, you know, whether it's the police, whether it's you know fight songs, whether it's flags. That yeah. you know all these all these signs that are coming to light, and it can't be anything but a good thing. It's it
0: it strikes me uh, particularly, and I've looked at some polling that indicates that um, Americans generally, uh, and this is pretty consistent over time, um, Americans have a uh, neutral to positive opinion of uh protest mm-hmm. like marches mm-hmm. um and they have a, a negative opinion of protest that becomes civil disobedience that is breaking of a window or or fighting in the street mm-hmm. and but these kind of actions by black athletes have been positively viewed so here you have this sort of cultural glue in america I mean, even people who don't like football know you cannot avoid it. It's like talking about soccer or, or football in Europe. People who don't even follow the games, it's just part of their lives. And here we have this opportunity to continue this racial justice discussion with these athletes. I guess my my I want to keep talking about this. My question to you, my guess, final question about this to you, is. Um, Do you worry about the amount of pressure that puts on what are essentially 18, 19, 20 year olds? Yeah, that's they're they're in the center of this. And President Trump is tweeting today and saying Big Ten needs to open.
1: And it just feels like a lot. Yeah. And that's that's where I think the you know, this is so much of this is on the coaches to, um, you know, uh, I mean, uh, in, in one step to do what McSaben did yesterday, which was sort of being out in front in a very symbolic, you know, march to uh, an auditorium that George Wallace had, um, you know, uh, deprived the uh, students from going into, um, to uh, – but also it it's on – it's on white athletes and, you know, their teammates. And, you know, so, so yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no 19, 20, 21, 22 year old that should be hung out as like, Hey, you're up, get up on stage and, you know, speak for everybody. I mean, it, you know, it, it should really be, you know, about a team, about, uh, you know, Strength in numbers, really, and well, and allies.
0: Uh, remind people that you're listening to COVID calls and talking to, to Billy Witts today. Um, I want to, in the time we have left, I want to get a couple other topics in. Um, mm. One of which has to do with your own profession. So we've talked about the fans and we've talked about the players, and and uh, I'm curious how COVID nineteen and the intersection of COVID nineteen and this Black Lives Matter that moment that we're in how's that affecting what happens in the booth how's that affecting what's happening uh, on the sports pages it maybe is too soon to say but i'm just really fascinated to see how it's how it's changing broadcasting and writing
1: yeah well i, I can't i can't speak quite for myself yet because there hasn't been uh, there hasn't been a season or at least for football you know mm-hmm. there haven't, i haven't covered any you know college sports in this pandemic age because there haven't been any to cover so but I think what's what's really jarring is just the and what I guess you know one thing I'm really bothered by and it is the piped in crowd noise and because I just feel like it's it's done in a uh it's just dishonest. And this is, this is all done for, you know, for entertainment and they're trying to, you know, so I get that, but I'm sorry, we're living in a different time right now. And I think, you know, just as a journalist, I think it's important that, uh, you know, even, even though broadcasting isn't necessarily a journalism enterprise, I think it's really important to hear when Luka Doncic hit, you know, hit a game winning you know, three-pointer in the playoffs that you just hear—you don't hear this fake crowd noise in the background. You hear the silence that he felt, and that you know, just his teammates. And you know, the same thing in baseball stadiums when there's, um, uh, you know, a, a you know somebody hits a gets a walk-off hit, and it's just you know the guys in the dugout. It's almost like a high school game. You know, the atmosphere with with better players. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things I've thought about is I covered the, I covered the Alabama Auburn football game last year. And and it was this like ridiculously entertaining back and forth, you know, game that was into the Mm forties. And it came down to, uh, you know, with about 30 seconds left, uh, uh, Alabama tried a game winning, a game tying field goal and the ball clanked off the upright and just the Auburn crowd went, you know, bananas. And I was just thinking about, okay, what if that scene happens, you know, this year Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's, it, it's going to, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of gets back to what we were talking about, you know, just how things are in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's, it's there and it's trying to be the same, but it's, you know, it's, it's not. Uh, just
0: listening to you describe that I re- went to a football game I just I don't know if you've been doing this but I things that are on the calendar far ahead
1: I'm mm-hmm.
0: eventually I give up on them and take them off and and I had wow. just taken off one of the games um, usually try to go down to Austin and go to a game with the family my dad gets tickets and we were, we went to that West Virginia game last year and I mm-hmm. uh, and it was just exactly like you described every time that Team touched the ball, they scored, and it just went mm-hmm. on and on. And, and Texas ended up losing, but you couldn't hear yourself in that stadium. It was just, it was just a complete cathartic experience, and and there is solidarity that comes from those shared experiences of sports. I know not everybody agrees with that, but I think, no, um, oh, it's a tribal. Uh, yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's a tribal exercise. So. I've worried in these times about you know when we need everything possible to cope with the daily numbers like the ones I read at the beginning that's that not just sports but as you said it's that missing of the crowd it's the missing of the shared
1: experience that I don't think can be replicated at, at this time no I, I mean I I don't know I, I I think I've watched more baseball this summer than basketball and it it just is not yeah, it's just not the same. It's not, um, you you just can't help but remind, be reminded that you're uh, you know, watching a sporting event that's being played in a pandemic. So say a
0: little bit, we'll come back to the economics for a second. Can you say a little bit more about the broader economic ripple effects um, that we might be expecting? We talked about college a lot, mm-hmm. but even if um, pro football if there are delays or if things go bad with, you know, hot spots and the pandemic gets worse, as we believe it, it will in various mm-hmm. places the seasons might get started and then shut down. Every game that's missed represents a large sum of money in lots of ancillary economic sectors. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, I guess the way to, you know, look at it is you have this, all this money that's being funneled into a a professional sports franchise. And then how is that being, how is that money, you know, being distributed to players, to local restaurants, to hotels, to all these. um, Yeah. So it's, it's going to, you know, this is, it, it, this, this whole, uh, this virus is just, impact you know it's it's so random in a sense of you know i have thought about this a lot it doesn't matter if you're good at your job or not so good or or uh you know just how it's how it's just by luck of a draw just that decimated certain industries i mean if you're in entertainment or hospitality Mm -hmm. or you know it doesn't matter you know how good a business plan you have or how um, you know it's just it it's really been like one, you know, a series of gut punches after after another. And then, you know, other industries. I mean, if you're in, you know, a you know a bicycle manufacturer manufacturing business, then yeah, things are, you know, you yeah. probably don't notice, uh, you know, a difference. Maybe, or maybe things are even better. So it's just, uh, I don't know if that quite answers the question, but it, yeah. it's just a. Uh, um, I, I don't know what, you, you know, it, we haven't, go, we haven't gone through a whole season yet that's been missed out. I mean, basketball, and, I'm sorry, basketball and hockey have, you know, their seasons were pretty much complete mm-hmm. except for mm-hmm. the playoffs, which is a big, you know, very significant money thing for the owners. Cause that's where they make, you know, their money that they don't right. share as much with the players and, you know, football hasn't started. You know, it was over when when right. the pandemic started. And, you know, baseball has been sort of this uh, you know, trying to do this this dance to recoup as as much as what it could and so like if, if baseball has to shut down before the playoffs, that's gonna be devastating to mm-hmm. to the owners, to the to the franchises, unless you know the players will have at least made you know 60 out of 162. So it's, you know, close to half their right. half their salary. So it's, you know, spending money, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but college, yeah, I mean, I think that's where, you know, we already saw colleges take take a I think they lost two-thirds of the revenue that they were expected from the NCAA tournament. So they took that hit at the end of last year and then Um, You know, so I think you can make a pretty good case that Mm -hmm. colleges will be, you know, could be hit harder by this than, you know, any other, you know, major sports entity. We're almost up on time. Let me get one more question in. Um,
0: So Big Ten, at least, uh, University of Texas, I think, is going to be playing against UT El Paso here on the 12th. I think we're two weeks out or less from some of these teams Mm -hmm. playing are you going in the stadium You suit up with the mask and do socially distant uh, reporting? Is that what's coming? Uh,
1: Yeah. I I think, yeah, I I think I will. And uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'll protect myself as, as much as I can, but um, you know, I think there are certain stories that the only way to tell them is by being there. And so I just feel like that's, that's something that, uh, you know, I'll have to do. I mean, do, do I, I mean, pretty much last fall I was on the road, you know, probably four out of every five weeks and uh, maybe even more than that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think I'll be gone as much this fall, but, you know, I, I expect to be uh,
0: traveling to places. Well, we'll be looking for your reporting and some of these things that you've already described that you're listening for the way crowds are going to sound different Yeah. In a stadium with 25,000. Yeah. if you're used to seeing a stadium in the South with a hundred thousand, <laughs> it's going to feel like nobody's there. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think there's some places where 25,000 would have been a good, good crowd before, yeah. but uh, not in Austin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, <laughs> well, thanks for the reporting you're doing and we'll be sure to follow you and hope to get to talk to you maybe later in the season as things, as things go along.
1: Yeah, that, that'd be great. Now, yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me, Scott. I really enjoyed, uh, yeah, Diving into this a little bit.
0: All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning into COVID calls. We're on uh, every weekday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Stay healthy and we'll see you tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Thanks again, Billy.